Hey everybody and welcome to Get Your AI On The Podcast. I'm Ciprian Borodescu and this podcast is brought to you by Algolia, the AI-powered search and discovery platform. I'm the host of the show and every episode I invite founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and even AI researchers to share with us their experience in dealing with business problems that can be solved through intelligent use of data. This is episode number 27. Let's get your AI on. I'm here with Claude-Eric Mars, VP of Engineering at AI Redefined, a Montreal-based startup working towards perfecting the synergy between humans and AI to face the challenges of securing a brighter, more ethical future together. Claude-Eric, it's an honor to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, Cyprian. It's, uh, th- thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to, to talk to you today. Tell us a bit about yourself and your journey as an AI product engineer and tech leader. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so I was born in France and I uh, worked for the vast majority of my career up until last year uh, in France. Um, and, and yeah, so my, my path towards AI and especially collaboration between AI and humans starts with the, the two towers, uh, the, the, the Lord of the Ring, uh, the movie version. No, really? Yes. And especially in particular with the, with one of the making of and the DVD. Um, so, uh, so I, I don't know if you remember the film. I guess you saw the film. I guess everyone saw the film. I I, I saw that like ten times. Yeah. So I think I remember yeah. it. <laughs> so in so the two towers uh, is well known for one of, for being one of the first films with a very large crowd battle uh, at the Helm's Deep. Yes. And um, and so in practice, so Weta Digital, which is the, the the company that was basically created to do the special effects in New Zealand for uh, for the Lord of the Ring trilogy, uh, they needed to create software to create this uh, this crowd of orcs and this crowd of elves that are uh, battling each other uh, at the at the climax of the movie, and uh, in the um, and so they they created a. a a software called Massive that was one of the first crowd simulation software. And in the extra, uh, in the making of extra uh, uh, on the DVD, uh, there is these people talking about how they created the crowds and how at some point they didn't understand the behavior of the character in the crowd. Uh, The orcs were running away from the fight. Um, They started having some... um, Hypothesis about oh, but we we ask them to be afraid of some kind of uh, of 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 threat, and maybe they are too uh, too afraid, and so they are running away because they are uh, afraid of the elves at the, as they should be because they will be defeated by the elves. Yeah. Um, in the end, I mean, it was probably just a null pointer or something like that, uh, and they run toward uh, the zero zero uh, coordinate <laughs> on, on the field. But this. This this little um, snippet um, is basically what got me interested into how we can uh, create AIs uh, and how um, the the relationship between the humans and the AIs um, needs to be dealt with. Um, so I, I was already uh, studying computer science at this point, but that that's part of what uh, got me into AI. Um, uh, in the first place, wow. um, so so I, I, for the 
so after my my um, uh, my, my diploma, I worked for for, for for a few years into what's called game AI, which is basically how you animate and how you steer and how you uh, control the behavior of characters. Uh, so mainly for game development, but also for simulation, for mm -hmm. um, and for uh, VFX animation, etc. So I worked at Inria, which is like a big French lab, uh, and then participated to the start of Golem, which was uh, um, a small a small company that basically created a competitor to Massive, the software that was used by by those guys uh and and then at a company called maza um and in all those experiences i was mainly interested in how you can shape or you can control or you can direct virtual characters uh in a simulation simulated environment um and it's also where uh, i learned how to code where i learned how to uh, deal with uh, building a product how to manage a team etc so that's the, basically the first part, uh, really building AIs that can be directed for uh, artistic or for uh, training purposes. And that was uh, back in? That, uh, that was back in between 2006 to 2015, something like that. Okay, so, so you were actually doing AI before it was sexy, for the rest of us at least. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I mean, um, yeah, you, you know, AI, AI has some <laughs> back and forth between being sexy and being uh, uh, being something that doesn't work. Uh, I'm not sure where we will be in two or five years, but uh, yeah. at the moment it's still sexy. Um, uh, and, and yeah, so and so we, so my team and I, we build a kind of an expertise on how to how to create controllable AI with um, uh, explicit. Um, explicit management of behavior, etc. And we found out when we started to add machine learning to the mix that uh, this wasn't only useful for uh, game character or for uh, simulation uh, entities, uh, but also uh, could be used in much wider, uh, wider range of uh, use cases from smart home to energy management to uh, uh, marketing, etc. And so we created a company called Craft AI. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so we focused on building uh, AI that's explainable, uh, that learns from data, uh, that learns in continuous. Um, uh, and, uh, and yeah, so that's, that, that, that was five years of my life. I was CTO. I worked a lot on everything you do as a CTO of a startup when there is like five people. Uh, yeah. So a lot of business, a lot of recruitment, lots of product, lots of R&D strategy. Um, and I guess and back then uh, it was even harder to recruit people as it is today. I mean, I'm, I, mean, I'm this, was... I, mean, I think it was a different kind of uh, complication, right? You didn't have a lot. Today you do have more AI engineers or, or ML engineers, but you know the market is so competitive, right? Yeah, that's so. Basically, it was the um, uh, so when we started. So we started in 2015. Um, it wasn't clear what a data scientist was. Uh, it was it was the beginning of the name, uh, and, um, and so it was uh, the, the 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 skills weren't as widespread as now. But on the flip side, it was easier to get uh, yeah. people. Uh, that we, we had less competition. Let's say. In terms of recruitment, um, but uh, but it was I mean it, 
you, you already uh, had like uh, at least in Paris uh, lots of uh, AI startups. So you can think of Dataiku. It was like the very yeah. the, not the early days of Dataiku, but uh, Dataiku was already uh, uh, a larger startup. Um, uh, you had people like Snips, uh, which uh, which been acquired by Sonos a few years ago, a few months ago. That was start beginning to 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 rise also. So it wasn't like uh, we, we weren't by any count the, the first uh, yeah. AI startup, but it, it was the beginning. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and for sure, it has been transformed. <laughs> it has transformed a lot since then. Yeah. And uh, since you mentioned then we you started with the uh, craft AI. Um, and I know I know you enjoy explaining explainable AI. <laughs> yes. Can you give us the explainable AI for dummies version? The, the idea of uh, explainable AI comes from the fact that most AI are deemed non-explainable, uh, and and so and more like uh, some kind of black box. Um, and um, and the problem is not the black box in itself. It's uh, the fact that when you want to deploy AI on something sensitive, being it can be because of uh, uh, human life, but it can be simply because of uh, of revenue of an enterprise or something like that. Um, you need to build some kind of trust that this AI system will work as it is supposed to work. Um, and uh, and what's key is this building of a trust relationship between the AI system, but it could be any kind of system, but the AI system and the people that will be using it for something. Um, and, uh, and 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 that way, uh, the when you have this trust relationship, it means that uh, people will uh, agree to rely on what the AI is doing, uh, and will let it do more of the stuff and uh, be more impactful. So basically, if you want to have a lot of, if, if you want to sell your AI in a good way, it needs to have a lot of impact. And if, yeah. if, it, needs, if it needs to have a lot of impact, it needs to have a lot of trust. Um, and so at Craft AI, uh, we worked a lot on explainability as a way to build this trust. And so, um, so there is different ways of tackling this problem. Uh, if you start by, Having like neural networks, so neural networks is like the the way to create AI at the moment, even if it's not the only one. Um, and neural networks are basically building some kind of uh, nonlinear multivariate equation of yeah. that takes input and that give an output. Let's say predicting from the pixel of an image if there is a cat in the image or not. Um, uh, and so the computation themselves, they are defined. They are. They exist. They they can be proven mathematically in some shape or form, uh, and at least the equation could be written down on a whiteboard, and you could take a look at it. So there is no black box really. It's uh, it's an equation, uh, but it's such a complex equation and such um, and such a large equation that it's really difficult to get a feeling on what will happen if a pixel turns white or uh, or black, uh, a single pixel. Um, so it's it's it really uh, it's mathematically completely defined, but for a human, it's really difficult to understand what's uh, what's going on there. And so you can either try to build um, some kind of simpler version of this uh, neural network that will work alongside it and that will be explainable. So 
when I mean explainable, it's really subjective because it depends on what, who is the person you are explaining it to. Um, so you have to work with them to understand uh, what level of explanation they need, what kind of explanation they need. Uh, but basically, you can think of uh, extracting some rules, uh, extracting some yeah. basic shapes for vision algorithm. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the time, it would be extracting the region of the image on which the neural network, uh, which the neural network used to make um, to make to make its decision. Um, I, I think you bring uh, I think you bring an interesting point here. So it really goes down to what you want to explain and what is the audience of that explanation. Who's the receiver? And I think explanations can be different for business people if you have that business user in your AI product or for technical, if you have, for example, developers. Developers are capable of understanding more you know, technical aspects of the, the algorithm. And so you can prob probably go a little bit deeper. And keeping that balance, I think it's pretty hard. Yeah, and it's, it's, not, it's not even just a matter of uh, going deeper or going uh, more, uh, more higher level. It's, it's also a matter of perspective. Uh, uh, a technical user will, uh, a technical developer will understand uh, some implication, for example, of, a, um, of low level computation in some early phases of the, of the model. Yeah. Uh, but perhaps will not understand the business implication of uh, taking that decision or this decision and, and, and vice versa. So it's, it's not about just uh, business people need to have something simpler and tech people can deal with complexity. It's different kind of complexities that you need to take into account. But yeah, I mean, in, in general, in AI and in IT in general, in, perhaps in life in general, it's, it's about understanding what are the needs uh, and, uh, and, and, and build your explainability solution and build any kind of solution to cater to those needs and not yeah. to something else. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I, uh, when, so we launched this Algolia Recommend product and some customers do ask us, how does that work? And I found it interesting that, you know, when, when asking back, what do you mean? What do you exactly want to understand? I get different responses uh, from different, from technical people. They actually want to understand if we're, what kind of algorithm we're using and to give them a little bit of like um, accuracy, precision metrics, online, offline, stuff like that. But for business people, it's actually different. You're yeah. just talking about, hey, we're taking into consideration these inputs. It gives us this output. And you can measure if it has a, a, uh, uh, an impact on your business. And this is how you do A-B test. So it, 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 uh, this, what you just said, it's all about the perspective. It's 100% correct. It's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, 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 very interesting. One example yeah. that I like, um, uh, I, 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 I was uh, uh, organizing this panel a few years ago and we had some, some guy from, from a startup of Accor Hotel uh, and he, okay. he, he is working on some pricing recommendation for hotels. Um, and, okay. and, and, and so one thing that he found is that if he explained, if he provided the input data that was used uh, for the recommendation to the hotel, basically, 
it managed the expectations of the hotels. And so he gave this example of um, um, uh, some kind of, I can't remember which one this was, but some kind of uh, uh, crisis uh, uh, like the, I think it was the 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 the, the, the protest, the gilet jaune protest in France that wasn't predictable and that wasn't taken into account in the computation of the pricing recommendation. And so, basically, the price the 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 pricing recommendation based on the on the demand for for hotel room was completely wrong during this period because the demand uh, really uh, 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 crashed because of those protests. Yeah. But because mm -hmm. the system told the hotels that it wasn't taking that into account to make the, the recommendation. Um, it didn't uh, change the trust those hotels had in the system. You know, it was like, yeah. you make a mistake, okay, but I know because you are making, I know I can't expect you to not make the mistake because you don't have access to this information. That That's huge. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Good. Uh, should we change gears now and maybe explain to us what is reinforcement learning and how would you explain that to a business person or maybe a child if it's easier? So, yeah, so at the end of 2020, uh, I left uh, CraftAI and I went uh, on the other side of the ocean to Air, Air Redefined, and, uh, and I, I will talk more about what we do at Air Redefined, but we are doing reinforcement learning. So, yes, let's talk about reinforcement learning. I, I think it's it's fairly easy, let's say, to understand what's uh, supervised machine learning. Supervised machine learning is you take a data set, so think uh, an Excel spreadsheet, uh, and then you are trying to understand patterns in all the rows in your Excel spreadsheet uh, to predict, either to predict a, a column a specific column, or to just understand the relationship between uh, between all the rows and make make, make groups or something like that. Um, and basically, it's it's about that. So you have a data set and you are compressing this data set uh, to, re to 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 yep. to extract relationship. Um, uh, reinforcement learning. Uh, so so yeah. So with with this kind of supervised machine learning, you know you can infer stuff that are uh, between the rows in the dataset, so things that doesn't occur in the dataset but are uh, inside the yeah, between the rows of the dataset, and you can you can predict what would be a, a value, what would be a relationship with a hypothetical value, a hypothetical row in this still dataset. Uh, with reinforcement learning, uh, the start is not the dataset. The start is having an environment. Um, so let's say a, a simulation, or it can be a real environment, but and then trying to do some things in the environment and try and, and understanding what's going on when you do something in the environment. So while um, uh, supervised machine learning is really static in the sense that it compresses information that already exists, reinforcement learning tries to discover new information in this environment uh, and work towards an objective. So in practice, what does it mean? Uh, I have one example that I really like. It's about high jump. Uh, you know the uh, Olympics, uh, um, uh, Olympics uh, uh, high jump when people running and trying to, <laughs> to cross. So um, in the sixties, I guess uh, there was this guy Dick Fosbury, and he basically invented a new way of jumping uh, 
by completely changing the, the way the body of the jumper faced the, the bar. Um, and it allows everyone to go much higher yeah. than before. So if you take a supervised machine learning uh, approach that would have seen all the competition in high jump before Dick Forsbury arrives, um, then and try to predict what would be the best uh, uh, pose, the best uh, the best run, the, the the best way to to clear the higher bar possible. It would have basically picked what the, the best way that every of the participants before did to clear the bar. It would have take a look at the existing data, and then find the the best uh, possible jump in this existing data. And so we'd never have came up with this idea of changing the direction to face the body because it didn't exist in the data. An RL environment, you would have uh, provided it with uh, the information about, okay, you have a bar, it's that high, uh, you can jump, you can um, run uh, that way and you have the max speed of something like that. And it would have tried different stuff and it could have discovered Uh, what Dick Fosbury discovered on his own, so a new way to to jump. Um, so that's that's pretty interesting. In in a business use case, it means that if you only apply supervised machine learning, there is no opportunity for creativity. There is no opportunity for optimizing uh, and thinking outside of the box. Uh, RL gives you this opportunity of uh, trying things. The algorithm will be creative and try new stuff. So obviously it. It can be dangerous, so that's why uh, you usually do that in a simulation context because in the real context, it would mean, uh, what if I just uh, run into the bar? What happens? Oh, I'm, I hurt myself. Um, uh, or what, what if I just never run and just wait here for uh, for, for a few hours? Uh, so that's the kind of thing a, a reinforcement learning algorithm will try to do. That's why you are doing that in simulation first, and that's why also it's really um Uh, it, it really requires a lot of computation because it means uh, trying stuff and trying dumb stuff because you have to imagine that to begin with, the AI doesn't know anything about anything. Of course. Yeah, this is interesting because it needs to fail so many times, just like a human being, right? To be able to learn. Yeah. And it's, uh, so Cloderic, do you know, I, I, I don't know this, uh, reinforcement learning appeared chronologically after supervised? I would think so, right? Um, uh, so it's like all those things in AI, uh, everything was invented in the 50s or yep. 60s. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, you know why I'm asking? I'm asking because uh, reinforcement learning, just like, just as you explain it very well, solves the problem of not having a huge amount of data source at the beginning of huge amount of data where you should train and stuff like that. So it seems that uh, reinforcement learning solves a little bit of that problem. Now, I'm wondering what other problems reinforcement learning or challenges uh, is introducing. And I, suppose, uh, and I suppose this is something that you're already working on at AI Redefined to solve. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, like, like I said, the, the first, uh, there are several challenges in reinforcement learning. Um, uh, uh, the first one is um, the cost of it. Uh, basically, you start with nothing and you are, try you are trying stuff. So you are really trying dumb stuff. You have, to, you, you have to imagine an AI agent doesn't have any common sense. It doesn't know what it does. If we are, for our high jump example, literally, uh, you would have an uh, AI, AI agent that tries to 
run away from the from from, from the from from the bar that would try to crash into the bar that would try to crush in, in, uh, under the bar and that would fail and fail and fail and fail and fail um and it's it's really a tricky part to to uh, to, to to try to get the first uh, successes because once it has first successes then it it has a basis to to explore in a better way. Uh, so the length, the sheer length of the training is uh, is something that can be a problem because it needs basically needs uh, compute time. Um, and um, so that's one aspect. The other aspect is that uh, it's uh, uh, you have to provide an objective to to a reinforcement learning uh, uh, agent. So uh, it can be cleared cleared this um, uh, this. Uh, height, uh, this bar height, uh, uh, it can be much more complex and it, it needs to be complex because it needs to account for all the edge cases that the AI will find that you can't really predict. So um, <laughs> you, you need to put in place um, lots of barriers to for the AI not to do weird things. And at the same time, you need to, to guide the AI towards having the solution. So you can imagine that if the AI never managed to, to clear any uh, any bar, uh, then it will never learn how to better clear those. So you need to guide the AI to clear those bars. So shaping the reward is really important to help uh, shaping the objective, shaping the reward to, to help uh, clear the bar. And uh, the, the sheer length of the training is, is a problem. So one thing... Um, that, uh, that that we are doing at Air, and the, the main uh, the main thing that we are doing at Air is putting human inside the, the this this training. Um, so humans they already have uh, expert knowledge. Um, so they 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 they, are, they have seen uh, um, uh, what it's like to 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 do a high jump on TV. Uh, they might be able to do the high jump themselves. So they might be able to either uh, provide an evaluation that, oh, you were so close to, to clearing the bar, so but they can also provide demonstration. So, oh, I will show you how to clear the bar. Um, uh, and, and so this kind of information, they can also guide uh, the, the, the task providing first training the, the, the agent to run towards the bar and to take a jump, etc. Um, and and this, this kind of information allows you to speed up by a, a large margin, the, the, the training of uh, of those AI agents. So that's that's really uh, the first uh, the first problem, the first the first thing it helps with. Uh, but there is there is something else, and that's perhaps the most important part. Um, with reinforcement learning and with supervised machine learning, uh, what we do uh, today is creating AI agents that most of the time will interact with humans. So when you have like uh, Alexa. Alexa is interacting uh, with humans when you have like um, <laughs> a search engine that will provide personalized recommendation. It's interacting with humans. Um, and all the systems that, are that have learned to do something to interact with humans, they never actually interacted with humans. So they have been trained over, uh, if in case of uh, supervised machine learning in, in, on uh, historical data that might have been um, produced by humans, but the humans are no longer there. The data is fixed. In the case of reinforcement learning, they would be inside like a simulation with perhaps simulated humans, but, but not with the, with the actual humans. And 
Yeah. We are trying to build AI that works well in conjunction with humans, and we know how to uh, how to train them from data, but we we are not putting them in front of humans while they are training. Um, and if you if you want to if you want to tackle, uh, like I said at the beginning, much more um, complex or much more sensitive information, uh, the AIs will need to interact with humans in the end, uh, and they will need to learn how to do that. That's why we believe that we need to create common experiences between humans and AI as early as possible, hence during the training of the of the AI. Uh, so really, that's that's the that's the whole idea of what we do at AI Redefined. Um, in order to get AIs that know how to interact, how to work with humans, how to team up with humans, we need to add the humans early uh, in the training process and to involve the humans as early as possible in the training process uh, and for this training process to never end also. And uh, to do this, you actually um, started developing an open source project, Cogment.ai. When did you start and who's using it? Where do you look to grow uh, the community and so on? Yes. So, um, so Cogment is, uh, is an open source framework. It was first released, so the first release was done at the end of 2019. Uh, and we just released a few weeks ago the, the official 1.0 version of, uh, of Cogment. So basically, you went out of alpha, beta, and you're now version one. Congrats. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it's been used by several people. It's been redone uh, completely from scratch after, after a full year uh, uh, because we learned a lot about how it was being used and what was the barrier of entry, etc. Uh, and yeah, so we... And I think it's normal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's definitely normal. Um, and and this, this version 1.0 is basically uh, us and everything that we learned for the past two years um, uh, inside this, uh, this new version. And obviously, it's not the end. There is a lot. <laughs> we have a, a huge roadmap that, uh, ahead of us. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's an achievement and, uh, uh, and it's an achievement of the, of the full team, for sure. And I'm, uh, and I'm curious, why did you start with open source? What was the reasoning behind it? Yeah, so uh, like I said, the, the mission, and like you, like you said in the introduction, the, the mission of, uh, of Air, and Air is really a mission-driven company. It was founded uh, with a specific vision in mind and, 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 and this idea of facilitating the synergy between humans and AI. And so we... They started from there uh, at the very beginning, and um, and Cogment. So the idea of uh, creating common experiences between humans and AI came as a solution to facilitate this synergy, like I just explained. And uh, Cogment uh, basically is like technical building block to facilitate uh, this creation of common experiences, um, and so. In, in that way, making it open source was uh, was was a way to facilitate uh, a, a wide reach for 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 this uh, for, for this framework, um, uh, and uh, and that that that's really aligned with, with the mission of the company. Um, and on top of that, uh, we know that the problem that we are tackling are really um, hard problems, um, so we won't 
solve them by ourselves. Uh, we want to build a community uh, around uh, around those kind of problems and provide them tools uh, and work with them towards finding uh, a good solution. So having an open source framework helps us reach the research community. So in academia, but also in private research lab. Uh, and then on a commercial point of view, uh, it means that it's easier for potential customer to test it, uh, for integrator to, to play with it, let's say. Um, and, and then it means that uh, we, we can provide additional services and additional modules on top of it uh, for paying customer. Uh, and because we are, um, uh, we are talking about AI and the humans enabling sensitive uh, use cases of AI, having an open source base also helps uh, with uh, building trust. Uh, yeah. Customers that would have sensitive kind of data, sensitive exactly. kind of use cases. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, um, open source, open source is a, is a, is a good is a good way. And to be to be frank, also in AI and especially in low level AI stuff in general, open source is quasi a requirement. Uh, I wouldn't think that something like TensorFlow or PyTorch uh, would have any traction yeah, if it absolutely. wasn't open source. So I've seen that the technology you've built has been used for unmanned drones and fighter pilots collaboration for recon missions. That this seems to me like the types of projects that if you share too much, you'd have to kill us, right? Uh, uh, makes you feel a bit. Uh, <laughs> makes you feel a bit like James Bond. Uh, there are several things about defense. Um, uh, uh, The, the, the first thing is that we are mostly, so we are working on defensive application and we are uh, working with, uh, with countries that really have in their, in, in their doctrine to, to keep humans in the decision making for everything related to, to defense uh, and to have like a, a, responsible, a responsible and ethical chain of command. Um, and that's, uh, that's, important to us and that's a way uh, uh, and we believe that technologies like Cogment can help in this uh, especially because um, uh, you don't want this human in the loop to be just a rubber stamp you want the humans to have uh, agency to have the information it requires in order to, to take decision and to really collaborate with the AI so once again we are it's a good very good application for uh, this idea of collaboration between humans And AI, uh, and, and we are we really really goes into this direction with humility uh, because there is a huge ethical uh, uh, yeah. huge ethical issues and huge robustness issues also just from a technical point of view. And and the two other aspect of defense is that they 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 know how to invest in deep tech earlier than other um, because they have these long-term strategical plans mm -hmm. where they, they can uh, provide funding for, for this kind of deep tech thing that we are doing. Uh, and the last part is that, mm -hmm. um, so we, we are using the reinforcement learning framework to um, to basically uh, apply it to, 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 to systems where you have AIs and humans. Reinforcement learning means simulations. And the thing about uh, uh, defense is that they have a lot of simulation because they train a lot. Um, because and hopefully, and uh, it, it's good for for everyone. I think they are mostly they are not doing their job. Uh, it, it, when when you are when you are a soldier, most of the time you are not doing your job. You are just training for doing your job uh, because your job is is, uh, is is making war, and you are just usually you are training to make this war. So you. 
they have a lot of simulation at I, I never thought of that job in these terms but uh, now that you're mentioning it i'm actually happy that they're not jo- doing their jobs <laughs> it's not that they're not doing their job is that they are preparing to they're they're they are getting ready and so getting ready is their job uh, to be sure yeah. um uh so yeah so exactly. uh defense was uh, and especially aerospace uh was where we started uh and because of all these reasons um we also have uh, uh some users uh, and, uh start to have a community of users in the research uh, research lab we are working with the university of alberta we are working with the uh south Chandar, uh crl group at mila here in montreal um and it's uh it's 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 really the beginning so it's for in all the companies that I've been that I've worked at, which were really into this kind of deep tech, defense is always like a, a good first bet because of its ability to invest on the long term. When it comes to startups, building startups, everything seems to be in a rush. Now, 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 as soon as possible, release things today. And there's not a lot of research mindset, if you will. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna throw this question out there and please let us know your uh your position your perspective your thoughts on yeah. and your experience is there a difference between software engineering and machine learning engineer engineering or data science and what an ai dream team consists of <laughs> in your view the, the, the first thing is I don't think there is one AI dream team. And li- like you said, you, you, there is uh, lots of different ways to do an AI startup. Uh, uh, and uh, you, you, you can do an AI startup because you have access to some kind of data that you're the only one or you have a privileged access to a privileged way to access it. And so the value is in the data. You can, you, you can have a really good product ID and you, you are trying to combine the, the best of the algorithms out there to create this product ID. Uh, or you can you, you can try to tackle uh, long term mission, long term uh, uh, visions like like we are. Um, and so for sure, you need a different kind of uh, of people <laughs> to, uh, to 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 deal with that. Um, I, yeah, I, I like to think about um, uh, some kind of continuum between uh, three different poles. So you have the uh, understanding the mathematics, understanding the the really low level part of the of the algorithms, uh, that's one w- w- one aspect. Uh, you have the ability to um, uh, apply algorithms to specific use cases. So understanding the business use case, understanding the limitation, understanding the biases, and more. So it's more about the data themselves and uh, and the use the. Uh, how to apply the models. So that's one, one aspect. And the other aspect is all the engineering part. So being able to understand the distribution problem, being able to understand the computational problem. Uh, and so you have those three uh, attractors and every one, every, every, every person is, um, is, is somewhere on the continuum. And you need a bit of everything to, to be able to have a functioning team. Um, Usually, what you call data, what is called data scientist, is mostly on the applied part. At least that's my understanding. What what you call ML researcher, let's say, is more on the on the on the algorithmic part, and um, and what what we would call ML engineer, let's say, are more on the engineering part. But you, you need a little bit of both. Um, I, I I really like uh, what one thing that I've done throughout my career, and uh, that 
I think is really tricky but really interesting is how to articulate the long-term thinking and the short-term thinking because as you said in the startup you need to you need to to, to know a little to, to have a little bit of both and so recruiting profiles that will work really more on the applied thing and profiles that are able to uh, understand the long term is key but what's even more important is that they should be able to work together and so that's why it's a continuum you need to have uh, people that think in long term in terms of long term algorithmic problem uh, that are able to in some shape or form uh, say okay but what if I need to apply that in the next uh, one month to a specific problem and they should be able to unplug their long term thinking brain to just do that for, for a while but then plug it back again because uh, it's important to 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 to, to see further. Um, when you have a startup that is growing accelerated uh, and you uh, pass the one billion mark, uh, you become basically a, an unicorn, and then you have decacorns and whatnot. Now, what would you call a machine learning engineer that knows? all of these pillars that you've explained that is capable of being a horizontal, uh, well, engineer, I guess. I don't even know how to call it, but maybe we can come up with a, an interesting uh, animal name for it, a fantasy one. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's like when you are making a, 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 a role-playing character, character sheet, you... <laughs> You need a role-playing game character sheet. You can't put all the points uh, everywhere. So uh, it, it's a balance. So I, I, those kind of hybrid uh, profile uh, that knows a little bit of both. I'm, I am in this kind of uh, area. I, I'm, I, I'm understanding a little bit of both. Uh, and and that's, that's important to, to make the team work together. Uh, I'm I'm just a software engineer that knows about AI, let's say. Um, uh, but uh, but I I mean, with a team of me, you can't do a lot because you need to have people uh, with much more in-depth knowledge on the different fields and vertical. Much, yes, yeah. much more. Uh, I mean, to 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 start at the very beginning of a startup, uh, generalists are the are, are key right. because you even if you are doing like a uh, a fancy mission-driven startup, you you will change direction uh, two or three times. Uh, in the same way that you don't want a full front front end engineer and full back end engineer, uh, you don't want to have data scientists that don't know how to go deeper than TensorFlow, and you yeah. don't want just researchers that don't have a clue about uh, what it's like to apply uh, AI. So you want people that are hybrids. Uh, yeah. And uh, and and then when you're getting uh, bigger, you can specialize, uh, yeah. and you need to specialize to have uh, to have a much deeper uh, understanding of specific topics. Yeah. Um, usually, usually I like to surprise my listeners and guests with a special question of the episode, one that has more weight to it and was not shared with you or with the guests before <laughs> and it's a bit more delicate to answer but uh, you can take as much pro as much time as you need for it uh you are now in a vp of engineering you used to be like you mentioned at the beginning a co-founder and cto i want to take you back a little bit to the founder 
role. How difficult and or what's the difference? How do you feel now as VP of engineering versus years ago when you were also a founder? Yeah, yeah um, that's an interesting question. It's I think the difference between uh, yeah being a founder or a co-founder or, or, or joining a team is uh, is akin to having a baby or adopting a baby. When 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 you are the when you are the founder, you it's it's your project. Uh, you kind of know in which direction it should go. Uh, you can change your mind for sure, and you will change your mind, but uh, uh, adapt. Your, your your view let's say but um uh, but it's up to you to decide uh, where it goes and you are really invested in it because uh it's it's the way you see things uh and at least it it should be for the for the vast majority and then you 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 need to you need to learn how to let go of some of the control as you as you make the company bigger and uh, and as it is more successful uh and and when you come aboard uh, uh, later, uh, then you have you have this other vision that's uh, that you that, that you are participating in. Um, so you can just see that from an outside perspective and just contribute and do your job. Uh, that that's not something I like to do. Um, or you can uh, you can make it your own. Uh, you can adopt uh, the, the 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 vision and you can. Uh, uh, perhaps uh, help steer it a little bit. Yeah, uh, basically commit to the new. Yes, you, 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 and, and and that's that's the way that that's the way at least I choose where I want to work and uh, and that I'm that's the way I'm trying to to yeah. to do my job. There, there's something quite quite interesting um, in the. Um, uh, when when I was working at uh, at at Golem, so one of my first uh, my first uh, my first job, we came up with this idea of directable AI. So the idea was to have AIs that can be uh, that can follow the direction of a director, like a movie director. Uh, and and oh, and it's it, it, it's it's interesting because it's you have those high level um, high level. Uh, Direction and the AI is supposed to follow them with a certain level of uh, of autonomy. Uh, and now at Air, uh, we 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 are working towards it. And it wasn't my initial idea. This idea of steerable AI, uh, and you know, so directable AI was kind of my idea uh, at the beginning. Steerable AI is not mine, but you can see that it's basically the same kind of idea, and uh, that by joining Air. I found a way to continue working toward uh, uh, stuff that matters to me, uh, and I think that's the best way to to to, to join a, a company. Find what you like, what you want to work on, and then uh, join the place where you can make it uh, progress. Um, and 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 so it means that in the end, and the way I feel today at Air, it's not much more different than uh, the way I felt at, at Craft AI, except that uh, I can always turn to someone else uh, when I have a, a doubt or a question on the vision. That's excellent. And on that note, Claudric, it was a real pleasure to have you on this podcast. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with me and with us. How can people reach out to you for ideas and comments? 
Yeah, so uh, so the first thing is that I would uh, encourage everyone to uh, to to take a look at at Cogman. So at, on Cogman.ai, you can uh, you can take a look at the doc, take a look at the source, and try it for your project. We are happy to help people uh, get uh, get up to speed on it and uh, and help them with our with our project. Uh, and and me personally, you can uh, you can you can reach me on Twitter at Clauderic, uh on you or you can send me a mail at Clauderic at ai-r.com uh, and I'd be uh, I will be happy to answer your, your question. Thank, thank you so much for, for your invitation and uh, and and yeah, um, I will continue to listen to the podcast and and hopefully uh, see where everything goes. Awesome! Just followed you right now on Twitter. Thank you so much, Claudia. <laughs> thank you. All right, this was Get Your AI On podcast. Thank you all for listening and be sure to subscribe. We're going to post a new episode every other week, so stay tuned for the next conversation. See you next time.